Hi, my name is Molly Schulte Tucker, and I have the privilege of pastoring the good people of Ridgewood Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome to the season of Epiphany, the time between the 12 days of Christmas and the beginning of Lent, which takes us to Easter Sunday. In this time period in January and February, we learn about the ministry of Jesus and the light that he brings into the world. At Ridgewood, we are in a worship series called The Stories of Jesus, named in part from the song called Tell Me the Stories of Jesus, a hymn that you may have grown up on or may be new to you. I shared my favorite story of Jesus on Sunday, January 14th, but then I need your help. Between when you are hearing this and February 11th of 2024, tell me your favorite story of Jesus. Tell me why is it your favorite? What challenges you? Where do you see yourself? How does it give you hope? How does it give you pause? I'd love to hear from you either on our Facebook page through Facebook Messenger, which is facebook.com slash Ridgewood Baptist Church, or by email. My email is molly, M-O-L-L-Y, at ridgewoodlouisville.org, or on a Sunday morning before or after worship. What story of Jesus have you written on your heart? Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 8, verses 43 to 48. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from a flow of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his cloak And immediately, her flow of blood stopped. Jesus asked her, Who touched me? When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I noticed that power had gone out from me. When the woman realized that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This is the gift of Holy Scripture. Thanks be to God. At the moment we meet her, She is out of options, or out of money, or both. I believe that she had faith in Jesus, but at this point in her life, if she were to have been further shunned because she touched him with an unclean hand, because that would actually make Jesus then unclean, for her it would have just been another drop in the bucket of rejection and ridicule that she had been living for 12 straight years. 
She approached Jesus in a ceremonially unclean state, and by brushing the hem of his garment, the risk that she took to get better could have equally backfired because she would have made Jesus unclean, and she could be punished for such an act as this. But when you have been bleeding for 12 years, when you have lost your friends because you cannot be near them, when you don't have a family because they can't be near you, when you have drained your finances because no doctor will believe you, when you have lost your patience because no doctor will believe you, when you have lost your confidence because no doctor will cure you, when you have met with every doctor in your geographical area, when you have spent week after week cleaning the clothing to be free of blood stains. When you haven't been touched by someone else in 12 years, what else are you going to do? And Jesus looked at her and he said, your faith has made you well. And if we leave it at that, Her faith made her well. I think we're missing a big piece of who this woman was and what this woman did that was simply remarkable. What this woman did against all odds was self-advocate for her reproductive health. Dr. Stephanie McNally, an OBGYN at Northwell Health in New York State, explains in an interview about how medical professionals gaslight women. She said that dismissals of pain or problems in the female body is nothing new and actually stems back thousands of years, maybe even to the day when this woman encountered Jesus. Dr. McNally says that it's no accident that the word hysteria originates from the same Greek word as uterus. There's still this pervasive belief, she says, in the medical community that any time a woman complains about her health, it's either related to her hormones or all in her head. How often does a woman get angry only to be asked if she's about to get her period? How often does a perimenopausal woman go to the doctor's office to complain about weight gain only to be told that it has to do with her hormones? Women have been self-advocating for our own bodies. We've been told we are empowered to make decisions and serve in leadership, but we are still trained to accept our doctor's word as the final word, because as women, we'd rather be nice than well. Perhaps this bleeding woman, as history has named her, knows a thing or two about being dismissed by medical personnel who were supposed to be helping her. If you are not familiar, I want to bring your attention to something called reproductive justice. 
a movement that was begun in the 1990s by black and brown women in Chicago who recognized that the women's rights movement led by and representing middle class and wealthy white women could not defend the needs of women of color and other marginalized women and trans people. According to an advocacy advocacy group called Sister Song, which is the largest national multi-ethnic reproductive justice collective representing indigenous, African-American, Arab, and Middle Eastern, uh, Asian and Pacific Islander, Latina woman, and LGBTQ people, they say that reproductive justice is this. It is the human right to maintain personal bodily autonomy have children, not have children, and parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. This work finds its roots among the United Nations humanitarian efforts. So Sister Song, this advocacy group, says that reproductive justice is three things. Here's what they are. Reproductive justice is a human right. Second, it's about access to care, not just choice of care. And third, far more than just talking about abortion, reproductive justice is recognizing that women of color and other marginalized women also often have difficulty accessing contraception, comprehensive sex education, STI prevention and care, alternative birth options, adequate prenatal and pregnancy care, domestic violence assistance, adequate wages to support their families, safe homes, and so much more. This group also says, if we were to achieve reproductive justice in the world. Here's the goals that would be met if they were ever truly met. Number one, analyze power systems. Number two, address intersecting oppressions, meaning we realize, yes, it is difficult to be a woman, but to be a woman and be impoverished or to be a woman and be black or Latina or what have you creates multiplied layers of oppression that are each then exponentially more preventative of a woman receiving or having access to care. Number three, if justice were to be achieved, we would join across issues and identities. This work cannot be done alone. It is not a single issue work. And lastly, if it was done, we would center the most marginalized voices. Sister Song says, our society will not be free until the most vulnerable people are able to access the resources and full human rights to live self-determined lives without fear, discrimination, or retaliation.
before as catastrophic as the war in Gaza has been to human life, the church, the big C church, has done a terribly pathetic job of keeping it on our lips when there is substantial loss of life happening daily. And I'll be honest, as a pastor, it's a landmine. There was a New York Times daily podcast back in December that said, in the American public right now, there are four generations who each have a different opinion on what's going on in Gaza because of what you may have seen in your lifetime, what you might adhere to, what you might believe, people you might know, what you might remember. And we recognize that what is happening is bad. Oof. It's bad. But also, we're not really sure, generationally, on a Sunday morning, where everyone sits. The church would rather be nice than well. But as I read this story of Jesus and the bleeding woman all week, dwelling on how this woman is challenging me to think about who Jesus is, I keep coming to the war in Gaza because of this that has haunted me. Since the onset of the war, miscarriages in Gaza have increased by 300%. They have not doubled. They have tripled since October. Further, in December, the World Health Organization said that there were no functioning hospitals left in North Gaza at that time, and only nine remained at that time in December in the South who were receiving an influx of patients every day. In October, it was estimated that there were 50,000 pregnant women in Gaza. Global health organizations also declared that there was no safe place to give birth in the region. Since then, women have gone into early labor or have had to undergo C-sections with no anesthesia. Hospitals that were used to having one to two births a day, maybe, are being forced to deliver 20 babies each day with lack of clean water and lack of sterilized instruments. Women are being exposed to infections and the rate of maternal mortality is skyrocketing. Women who do survive are struggling to breastfeed their baby because there is not enough food for them to eat and the children who are there too. In the same article, hospital workers told reporters that menstrual products, pads, tampons, are nowhere to be found. Women have spoken of menstruating as humiliation, 
They have described the indignity, the mental health toll of being on their period and lacking access to basic sanitary napkins. And because of the war-torn landscape, women lack privacy, they don't have access to clean water, they have lack of access to restrooms, they are experiencing sleep deprivation under the stress of wartime, and many women are experiencing periods more often because of the ongoing trauma to their minds and bodies, and they cannot get menstrual supplies in. We could talk about the 23 plus thousand deaths that have been reported since the start of the war. We could talk about the almost 60,000 who are injured. The only way to stop this excessive death The only way to stop the atrocities of reproductive injustice is ceasefire. The church has been silent. We cannot continue. What the bleeding woman has shown us is that When reproductive injustice comes into contact with the divine, it is the faith and determination of women that have changed history again and again and again. The efforts of women in the reproductive justice movement show us that freedom and wellness of women's bodies is never done. It will not be done in your lifetime. I doubt it will be done in my lifetime. But it is also a mantle that has been passed down by women from generation to generation. And can I tell you, women are tired. So whether you're a woman, a man, however you identify, we need your help. We're tired. Here's the good news. Jesus has shown us that God cares about the physical and mental health of everyone, including women. And history has shown us that when women have access to sanitary conditions and supplies and they can care for their bodies well, societies flourish. It's a historical fact. May we continue to be a congregation that seeks the flourishing of all people, including women, in the 40258 and around the globe. May our call for reproductive justice not limit uh, just to choice and access, but may we join the growing number of voices calling for ceasefire that remind us women's bodies are often caught in the middle of politics. So may the God who loves us give us faith that the world can look different. May the Christ who heals us be with us in our advocacy efforts for women and girls across the world in wartime and peace. And may the spirit that troubles waters of comfort continue to spark enough hope within us that we might believe and know 
God is still working the miracles of calming storms, healing bodies, and resurrecting what was once thought lost. Amen.